Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. All right, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Today we will be in Hebrews chapter 10. We're reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Well, since it's a holiday weekend, I thought we might start off by having a little bit of fun. Um, So I'm going to make a statement, and then I need you to tell me the name of the product that that statement goes with. So there's going to be a little interaction. Don't just smile. Actually speak out loud for other people to hear, okay? We can do this, have a little bit of fun, okay. Uh, statement, just do it. Nike. Nike. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. There you go. Now, some of you might not, might not be old enough to know what this is. Where's the beef? Wendy's. The nighttime sniffling, sneezing, coughing, aching, fever so that you can rest medicine. Got it before I was done. Good to the last drop. I think that's questionable. But (laughs) breakfast of champions. Wheaties. Melts in your mouth, not in your hands. M&Ms. Now, why do you remember all of those? Because you've heard them hundreds of times, right? The... The owners of those companies, the marketing directors in those companies have done their best to put those messages out in front of you time and time again, not only so that you would remember them, but so that it would change your buying habits. It would change what you do. And so they repeat the message again and again and again. Now, as we come to our text this morning... The writer of Hebrews repeats again some of the same truths that we've heard time 
and again. And he's repeating those truths time and again, not to be annoying, not to be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's repeating them time and again so that we would remember and so that we would put this into practice. So as we come to the text this morning, the author of Hebrews isn't nagging you. No, he wants you to know something. He wants you to have assurance that Jesus is better. So we're just going to look at two different messages that kind of come out of this text. The don't trust the old system, we've heard about that, and trust in Christ. So don't trust the old system, trust in Christ. So the first one is this, don't trust the old system. Testament sacrifices were a shadow of the things that were coming. Look at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. So the old system that we've talked about, that we've studied, the system, the sacrificial system that happened, that people went and they sacrificed animals to uh, atone for their sins, that, that was just a shadow. Now, I thought it would be really cool to shut the lights off in here and talk about shadows, but we have a bunch of windows in here, and we wouldn't really get that many. But imagine if this room were darker, and there were shadows, and you saw a shadow, but you didn't see the person. Well, obviously, there's kind of an image of that individual, but you don't quite see the individual. You can't quite make it out. It doesn't it doesn't come into focus until you turn the lights on. And the old covenant, everything that was happening, the sacrificial system, that was a shadow that was pointing to something that was clearer, that was pointing to something that was real. And so the Old Testament, as we look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament points to something. So for us, the Old Testament isn't just you know, the old book, but we spend all of our time in the New Testament. No, the Old Testament, the whole counsel of God's word we value because that points us to Christ, even though it's a shadow. The pictures are kind of rough. Now for us in our lives as Christians, we can talk about like the old and the new, like the old self and the new self. That's different. Our old self isn't a shadow. Our old self, we were in darkness, it wasn't an image of what it should look like. We were, we were running the other way. But the Old Testament is a shadow. It's pointing to Christ. So the Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow of what was coming. And then the blood of bulls and goats, as we learn here, they, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't deliver. Look at the second half of verse 1. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And then look at verse four. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As we've learned, like those sacrifices, they certainly could, could help in, in the moment, but they couldn't take away the condition of sin. They couldn't take away the reality that we were imperfect. So they just didn't deliver and the writers of Scripture affirm this, whether you're in 1 Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, Micah. We could go and reference a bunch. We won't take the time to do that. But time and again, it's referenced the old way doesn't work. And so don't keep going back to the old way. Remember, the 
author of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians, those who were familiar with the Old Testament, as we've learned. So he's saying, don't go back to the old way. Father William Barclay explained the concept of this. He said, he said, if a man is ill, a bottle of medicine is prescribed for him. If that medicine affects a cure, every time he looks at the bottle thereafter, he will say, that is what gave me back my health. On the other hand, if the medicine is ineffective, every time he looks at the bottle, he will be reminded that he is ill and that the recommended cure was useless. So the officer's telling his hearers, the, the animal sacrifices, they, they weren't effective. They don't have help. Don't keep going back to those things. Don't keep going back. And how does that apply to us? Because I know none of us are kind of tempted to go out this afternoon and, and go have an animal sacrifice. At least I hope not. But we, we feel like sometimes we can come and we make simple sacrifices and, and that's just going to appease God for us. Like, did you show up here this morning thinking, well, that's just going to please God. I'll, I'll, make him, I'll make him happy with me because I, I didn't do so well this week. Or maybe you think that if you do certain good things, well, that will be fine. If I, if I do good, if I do enough good things on this side, then, then that'll outweigh the scales on this side and God will be pleased with me. I, I need, if I check off that box, then God's going to be pleased with me. Friends, we, we can't trust in the stuff that we do just as much as these Hebrew Christians couldn't trust in the old system. We can't trust in what we do will earn us favor with God because, because it won't. We must trust Christ because the, the old system did point to something, even though it was insufficient. The old system pointed to the fact that, that we're failures. The Old Testament sacrifices were a constant reminder of failure. Look at verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. The need for these sacrifices wasn't a statement of a solution. It was a statement of a problem, a constant reminder of judgment. Maybe you have things in your life that remind you of failure. I brought a couple of them to, from my life to show you. Now, at first glance, these look like they're a reminder of success, right? You look at them, they're, they're shiny. Even this one looks bigger than this one. You're like, well, that's got to be really great to have that. But it's a trophy for second place, right? Now, I know on, on the world stage, as we prepare for the Olympics, you know, if someone can compete at the Olympic level and they get a silver medal, I, I think they're still pretty awesome. Okay, I think they've, they've accomplished something. But the reality is, is these trophies just remind me that I was the first loser. <laughs> they remind me that I worked hard. Basketball, baseball, whether it was, was 
doing some extra batting practice or taking extra jump shots or coming in early in the morning so that I could get better at free throws so that I could become a better basketball player. Only in my life to foul, the only game I ever fouled out of was the last game I ever played in high school. Wonderful way to top off a career. And then I thought, certainly, I'll play this tournament after school and we'll come regain some glory only to lose and get a trophy to remind me of it for the rest of my life. Now, that's kind of fun, trophies and the story. But you probably have stuff in your life that remind you of the fact that you failed. Maybe you have things in your life that remind you that you don't measure up, that discourage you, that cause doubt. And the fact of the matter is, is these Christians, when they had been a part of the old system and seen the animal sacrifice, that was just a reminder again and again and again that they failed. Where do you go when you feel like a failure, when you feel struggle? Is it self-pity? Ho-hum, do you start to kind of have your countenance just kind of fade? And when people try to encourage you, do you just, uh, just kind of, do you work harder? No, I'm just going to do more. Like, I realize I fail. I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to do more things for Jesus. I'm just, I'm going to be motivated. I just got to do because I'm aware of my sin. God wants us to be encouraged. God wants you to be encouraged, just like the author wanted his hearers to be encouraged. He wanted them to have assurance and not doubt, not assurance in their own abilities. He wanted them to have assurance in Christ. He wanted them to have assurance in Christ. Don't trust in your own efforts. Trust in Christ. So that's the second message. That's the message that he keeps revisiting, even as Wes came to the beginning of the book of Hebrews, is pointing to Jesus. So trust Christ. We need to hear the message again. When we say the message again, that's why we, the gospel is so dear. That's why we talk about the gospel all the time, because we need to hear it. Because in the gospel, we learn Jesus offered himself. Jesus offered his own body. Look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. So this is a quote, actually, from the Psalms. It's a quote from Psalm 40, verses 6 to 8. And it re reminds us that Jesus' sacrifice was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't the, the cause of the Roman elites. It wasn't a cause of the Jews at the time of Jesus. It was intended by God from days of old, before the foundation of the world. Because look, it says the body at the second half of verse five, but a body you have prepared for me. The baby we sing about at Christmas came so that he could go to the cross. 
And so as we're in our Old Testaments, again, the Old Testament's pointing us to Christ. When you're reading the Old Testament, it's pointing you to Christ. That's why we value the Old Testament. It has value to us because even though it has the shadow of things to come, it does point us to Christ. Jesus used the Old Testament to point to himself. On the road to to Emmaus, after Jesus was resurrected, he taught about himself from where? This is what it says in Luke 24. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. All the Old Testament points to Christ. It was God's plan. It wasn't an accident. He's pointing to himself, and it was his plan, and he gave himself. Jesus offered himself willingly. Look back at the text. So a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then in verse 7 it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offering according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. So when he came to do the will of the Father, he established the new covenant. But he offered himself willingly. See, God's not interested in the animal sacrifices. The only pleasing sacrifice is giving of Christ's body. He finds pleasure in those who offer the sacrifice of a contrite and obedient heart. That's what pleases God, as it says in Psalm 51. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And Jesus is our example in that. That's what God calls us to, a broken and contrite heart. That's the offering that we bring, not the offering of bulls and goats. Certainly they don't. Not the offering of our good works. No, he wants our hearts. But Jesus went willingly. He offered himself. Remember when we talked about the people would come and they would bring the animals, that they sometimes the animals may not come like they want. They, they had to drag them to bring them to the sacrifice. That's not how Jesus came. He didn't come kicking and screaming. No, Isaiah 53 describes for us that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so that he opened not his mouth. Jesus went without a fight, knowing that he was going to go and pay a penalty that he did not deserve for you. for you. He didn't struggle. He didn't go, but I didn't, but no, he offered himself willingly. 
He was wholeheartedly obedient to the Father. F.F. Bruce puts it well. He says, wholehearted obedience is the sacrifice which God really desires. The sacrifice which he received in in perfection from his servant son when he came into the world. The psalmist's words, I have come to do your will, O God, sum up the whole tenor of the Lord's life and ministry and express the essence of that true sacrifice that God desires. So I want to ask you, if you're here and you've not trusted in Christ, will you willingly offer your life? God doesn't come and grab people kicking and screaming. But he does call, will you? But he does ask for everything. And he will let you go. He will let you run. He will pursue you. And some of you who are here, maybe you are running. Maybe you're running from Christ. And he's going to pursue you. He'll let you run, but he's going to pursue you. When will you stop and willingly give yourself as Christ gave himself for you? Because if you confess your sins, he will forgive you of your sins. You can come to him today. Don't wrestle with him any longer. And once we come to him, let's resolve to be obedient to his will for us as Christ was obedient. Because obedience pleases God. It's the, it's the most precious gift of all that we could give. One commentator asked these questions. Is there something you know God wants you to do, but you have been unwilling? Is there something that you know God wants you to do, but you've been unwilling? Maybe it's a kindness that you're called to perform. Maybe it's a confession that you need to make. Maybe it's a gift that you need to give or finances that you need to share. Maybe it's a commitment that you need to fulfill. Maybe it's some task God has called you to. Maybe it's a neighbor that you need to go to this afternoon. I don't know what it is, but is is God asking you to do something? If you know what it is, say to him, here I am. I've come to do your will. I've come to do your will. You're following in the footsteps of your Savior. And we go willingly because Jesus went willingly. When you struggle to go willingly, you don't need to look to a self-help book. You don't need to look to five steps to be obedient. You simply need to look to Christ. In what manner did he obey? That's, That's as far as we need to look. And, and Jesus, as he gave himself, he then accomplished his mission. Jesus was successful in his mission. We know he was successful as we continue to read on in the text in verse 11 and 12. Because it says Jesus sat down and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He he sat down at the right hand of God. 
One commentator wrote, the priest of the Old Testament, he stands timid and uneasy in the holy place, anxiously performing his awful service there and hastening to depart when the service is done as from a place where he has no free access, can never feel at home, whereas Christ sits down in everlasting rest and blessedness at the right hand of the majesty in the holy of holies. He accomplished his work. He received his reward. He's not freaking out at anything. Like we can be tempted when, when life doesn't go as we plan or as the plan that we had unfolded, you know, maybe we wanted to move somewhere and we don't get to move. Maybe we didn't want to move and we do have to move. Maybe we, God is moving us in this direction. Maybe this thing happens out of the blue and we just like, what is going on? Jesus' posture the whole time is he's sitting. Just like all of you are sitting right now. He's seated. Why is he seated? Because he accomplished his mission. He accomplished his mission. He, his work was sufficient and effective to resolve the problem of mankind. Your sins are forgiven. We were singing about that. Your sins are forgiven. Your sacri- there, there's no sacrifice that's needed to earn his favor. No efforts that are needed to measure up. Christ's work is absolutely sufficient. Jesus sat down, and Jesus is in a position of power. Look at verse 13. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Now that's a quote, another quote from Psalm, the Psalm, Psalm 110. That's actually the same Psalm that we learned about Melchizedek. We won't go back and talk about Melchizedek, but that song's got a lot of good stuff in it. But his enemies are footstool. Enemies are a footstool. Now think about a footstool at your house. Some of you might have one of those. You might have fancy names for it, but it's where you put your feet. Where you put your stinky feet. Uh, it's not the place of importance. When a, a, when a nice guest comes over, someone of importance, you usually don't bring them into your living room and roll out the footstool and say, we want you to sit here, right? Jesus' enemies are his footstool. They're made a footstool at his feet. So when you are tempted to think the enemy is going to overtake you, just be reminded of the place the enemy holds where Jesus puts his feet. Not a, not a formidable, not a worthy adversary, a footstool at his feet. So when you're tempted, just remember the place that they have. Even Job, even as we've learned the story of Job and all the hard things that happened to him and God allowed the, Satan to, to afflict Job, Satan was only allowed to do what God allowed him to do. And all of Jesus' enemies are a footstool. So be reminded of that. Be encouraged of that, brothers and sisters, as you wrestle with things, as you walk through life. That's the place where they are. So Jesus, he sat down. He's in a position of power. And he has worked in us. 
And he continues to work in us. Look at verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That that phrase, perfected, it's, it's the seventh out of nine times that that phrase is used in the book of Hebrews. It can mean made complete, finished, made fitting, and certainly It's in reference to Christ and his work. It's perfect. It's absolutely complete. That's how it's used. But for us, the reference here, it's referring more to sanctification, the ongoing process. But sanctification isn't just like what's happening in the future. It's, it kind of has, you know, in the original, sometimes in the original languages, it's hard to kind of translate that to our language but it's kind of referring to a past event. So something that has happened, but has ongoing implications in our life. So it continues now and into the future. And that's the process of sanctification. Christ was made perfect. Christ is in the process of making you perfect. He's conforming you into his image. We learn from Romans 8.29 that we are to be conformed to the image of his son. He is making you perfect. No, you're not perfect yet, but one day you will be. I'm more, I'm far more aware right now of that I am not. I'll just be honest. And I think you're far more aware that you're not perfect. You're probably far more aware that your siblings aren't perfect because you look at that, or you're far more aware that your spouse isn't perfect. But if you're honest with yourself, you are aware that you're not perfect. But God doesn't want us to stay in that place. He wants us to be aware of what the work that Christ is doing. He's conforming us into the image of his son. And one day when we see Jesus face to face, it's going to be finished. Now think about it. God is going to make you the creature that he intended you to be, perfect, when you will see him face to face. He's going to finish the process. You will bear Christ's image perfectly. You will, be, you will bear perfect fruit. It won't be tainted by sin. You will have perfect thoughts and words and deeds. You will be unhindered in your worship. Because you're going to be perfect in the way that you think, you're not going to be going, I wonder what they will think of me. I don't want to to raise my hands up too high. I might hit them, or maybe, maybe they'll think I'm funny looking. You're never going to think about the person next to you because you're not going to be, you're going to be thinking about Jesus. That's where we're going, into his presence. I know it's hard for us to believe, but it is true for all who believe. That's the work that Christ is doing in you if you've trusted in Christ. That's where you're going. That's what we have to look forward to. And our, and our new life, as we trust in Christ, we do start to see some of that now. There's kind of a, a good picture that I, I read shortly after the the armistice of World War I. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse visited the battlefields of Belgium. In the first year of the war, 
The area around the city of Mons was the scene of a great British retreat. In the last year of the war, it was the scene of the greater enemy retreat. For miles west of the city, the roads were lined with artillery tanks, trucks, and other materials of war that the enemy had abandoned in their hasty flight. It was a loving, it was a lovely spring day. The sun was shining and not a breath of wind was blowing. As he walked along examining the war remains, he noticed leaves were falling from the great trees that arched along the road. He brushed at a leaf that had fallen against his chest. As he grasped it, he pressed it in his fingers and it disintegrated. He looked up curiously and saw several other leaves falling from the trees. Remember, it was spring, not autumn, nor was there enough wind to blow off the leaves. Then these leaves had outlived the winds of autumn and the frosts of winter, yet they were falling that day seemingly without cause. Then Dr. Barnhouse realized why. The most potent force of all was causing them to fall. It was spring. The sap was beginning to run. The buds were beginning to push from within. From down beneath the dark earth, roots were sending life along the trunk branch and twig until it expelled every bit of deadness that remained from the previous year. It was as great as a great Scottish preacher termed it the expulsive power of new affection. You may feel like you've got some of those dead leaves still lingering on in your life. Yes, I've come to Christ, but why is it that I can't seem to get rid of that habit or that way of thinking or that struggle? It just seems to linger on. As we abide in Christ, the knowledge of him and the awareness that it's, it's his spirit that is in us. It's, you know, in a sense, the, the blood that's flowing through our veins. It's Christ. The old leaves start to fall off. Rather than the hard effort of, well, I just need to get rid of those, focusing on Christ as we delight in Christ, then we will see change. When you struggle with sin or discouragement, know Christ is working in you, and as you focus on him, those things will pass away. Even this morning, as we were singing, I was feeling a bit of discouragement over a particular issue, and I was aware, as I was focusing on the truth about Christ, I started to not be discouraged. Not because I figured out the situation, but because I focused on Christ. And Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to remind you, to give you assurance of the work that he has done. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Not go to a law. No, he sends the Spirit of God to dwell in you, to remind you of all the things that you have been taught, to teach you all things. He sends his Spirit so that you could be reminded that you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Look at verse 
17, then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now I know, brothers and sisters, we can easily be reminded. Maybe you're reminded this morning as you, as you came here, as you were getting ready, you're reminded of your sin and you can struggle with that. But he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I, I will forget. But Claire Barton the organizer of the American Red Cross said this, because uh, she, she was never known to harbor resentment to anyone. On one occasion, a friend recalled for her an incident that had taken place some years before, but Clara seemed not to remember. Don't you remember the wrong that was done to you? Asked her friend. Clara Barton answered calmly, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Clara Barton willed to forgive and forget, but God does even better. He really does forgive and forget. Their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. Do you believe it? Do you truly believe it? Believe it this morning. Friends, we need to hear this message again and again and again. The cross, yes, is a constant reminder that our sins put Jesus there. That we didn't measure up, but the cross is a reminder that Christ did measure up and that he was the perfect sacrifice and now he remembers our lawless deeds no more. Friends, today, people out in the community are going to be celebrating their, the independence of our country. But we don't, though we might as, as American citizens celebrate that reality, we, we don't celebrate our independence today. We celebrate our dependence. That's what we are declaring today. On this Independence Day, we declare freedom from sin. Not freedom from the tyranny of a government. Freedom from the tyranny of Satan because our sins are forgiven and we are free in Christ. Because he says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Drop the mic. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have reminded us afresh of this amazing truth of the gospel. Thank you that the author of Hebrews was so diligent to share the story again and again and again. It's my prayer this morning for us as a church 
that this message would never grow old, but it would always meet us in the way that it met us the first time when we first came to Christ and we were overwhelmed. So I pray, Father, that this morning we would be overwhelmed afresh by the message of the gospel, by the fact that there was a perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of your son. And we can celebrate that today and every day. And no matter what trial or storm comes our way, it is finished. He has done it. And he sits enthroned on high, eagerly awaiting to return and to bring us to himself. And may we look to that day. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.